Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. I'm not going to preach on this. There's an illustration that is powerful of hundreds of years ago in the Japanese communities and culture there was an art that was formed and the formation of that art came about through an accident there was a very rich man who had some pottery in his home that had been passed down very valuable to him one day as he was preparing to make a cup of tea that pottery fell and broke into hundreds of pieces very valuable to him and he had the wealth to do it so he went to the potter sought to have that piece fixed and at first the potter took it and the first potter that he went to took it and he put in these gaudy staples basically stapled it together I I don't know enough about pottery to understand that but that's what happened he stapled it back together it was gaudy, it was ugly when you put the liquid in there it would pour through the, the seams that had not been sealed so unhappy he took it to another potter and he said I'll spare no expenses whatever it takes Whatever you got to do, I don't want to lose this. It's very valuable to me. And so the few days later, he shows back up, and the potter pulls out this vessel. That vessel, he had taken the broken pieces and poured between them. He had mixed gold with resin. He poured that valuable gold down between those broken pieces, and he fixed it back together again. And that vessel became so beautiful, so ornate, that they say from there the art of Kintsugi was formed, and now there are people that purposefully break their vessels because what that potter was able to do is make something more beautiful after the brokenness than before the brokenness can I tell you that's what Jesus does when he pours his blood down when he takes that precious blood and pours it down into your brokenness and then he puts it back together again and the end product is something more beautiful after he gets done with my brokenness than it was before I was broken that precious blood flowing in this house today God trying to put somebody's brokenness back together again valuable precious blood that was shed at Calvary nothing more valuable than the blood of Jesus is flowing in this building today and somebody right now you're trying to hold your brokenness you're trying to hold your brokenness together but every time you get a little bit of joy it it leaks out through the seams because it really hasn't been sealed but the blood of Jesus is here in this house today and God wants to put your brokenness back together come on there's a testimony in your brokenness there is a testimony in your brokenness that when God is finished with your life the end product is going to be more beautiful than when you before you came to him One more time, tell your neighbor, God's not finished with you. Your brokenness doesn't scare him. He specializes in brokenness. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Amen. Amen. Just one more time, can we bow our heads? There's such a strong flow of the Spirit of God here today. God, I feel like God is reaching for somebody in particular today. You're so ashamed of your brokenness. You're afraid if people find out how broken you really are, that they will discard you and count you as worthless. So you're doing everything, even right now as the Holy Ghost is moving, you're doing everything you can to just hold it all together, to hold all those pieces together. Don't Because you know once things begin to flow, you're not going to be able to stop it. But I'm telling you right now that God has come. If he didn't come for anybody else, he came for you today. And instead of holding your brokenness close, if you would surrender that, the blood of Jesus is going to begin to move in your life. The blood of Jesus is going to begin to flow in your life. Come on right now, somebody, I'm, I'm talking to you right now. The Holy Ghost is reaching for you, and you know that God is dealing with you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.
Hallelujah. We used to sing all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Hallelujah. Lord, I surrender all to you, Jesus. I give it all to you. All of the pain, all the suffering, all the sorrow, all the brokenness. There's some healing taking place right now. God is putting some things back together. Well, I don't feel it. I don't see it. You don't have to feel it or see it. Come on, you're not going to see it. God is a spirit. Come on, the spirit right now is moving in this place. And God is healing some broken pieces. God's putting some things back together. Come on, the reproach of shame and guilt is being removed right now. And God is putting some broken pieces back together in the name of Jesus. clap our hands and thank God for what he is doing what he's done amen if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 16 such a strong undercurrent of the Holy Ghost so I, I just feel like anything in this atmosphere the only thing Restraining God from doing everything would be a lack of surrender. We don't, when we don't give it to God. Amen. Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. The children of Israel took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness the children of Israel said unto them would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt and we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill us this whole assembly with hunger then said the Lord unto Moses behold I will rain bread from heaven for you People shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they walk in my law or no. It shall come to pass on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in. It shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Amen. I want us to move down to the 31st verse. The house of Israel called the name thereof manna. It was like coriander seed white and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. It was like coriander seed. It was white and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Amen. I'm going to preach in just a moment. I want us to stretch out our hands. Sister Angie, I want you to stand. I don't ever do this, but I want you to stand right now. I want us to stretch out our hands towards Sister Angie. 
Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now the blood of Jesus. I pray, I pray right now the Holy Ghost, God, you're doing something right now significant. This isn't superficial. It's not emotional. This isn't a quick fix that's going to get her through till next Sunday. But, God, you're doing a deep work right now. Lord, you're getting down into the marrow. You're getting down into the spirit of what is the issue, Lord. And I pray right now that that river in the desert would flow into Sister Angie's spirit, God. Uh, I pray right now that river in the desert would flow, God, uh, and heal, Lord, what's been broken. Uh, hallelujah. Mend, oh God, what's been separated. In the name of Jesus, uh, Lord, I rebuke guilt. In the name of Jesus, let the stigma of guilt and shame be removed from her mind. In Jesus' name, let the stigma of guilt be removed from her spirit. In the name of Jesus, uh, and Lord, what you are doing right now, Lord, will not be undone. Uh, what you are doing right now in the spirit will not be reversed, but Lord, it is settled. It has been spoken and it is settled. It is done. It is finished in the name of Jesus. And we rejoice in what you have done in Jesus' name. Come on, let that river flow in this house. Let the river flow in Jesus' name. Rivers flowing in the desert. Rivers flowing in the desert. God, let it be done. We, we declare your glory in this place right now, Lord. Hallelujah. Let that river flow in our lives in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. I want to preach for a few minutes on this thought. No substitute for honey. Amen. No substitute for honey. We have many substitutes in our society today dietary substitutes, some that are very helpful in our society today. We have milk substitutes. If you have trouble with lactose, you can get soy milk, almond milk, coconut milk. I even read about hemp milk. Just keep it at milk. In fact, a few years ago, I read an article that said the very best milk and what scientists, many scientists have identified as the next superfood Get ready for this. It's cockroach milk. Look it up. I'm not lying. I wish I were because somebody had to try it to figure that out. They say that this milk is the most rich in protein of any milk that you'll be able to partake of. Or they'll be able to partake of. But it's a protein-rich crystallized substance created by a specific roach. The Diploptera punctata. As for me and my house, we'll stick with vitamin D. Maybe soy milk at, at the most. There are substitutes for noodles. They've got zoodles, which are zucchini noodles. Long spiral-shaped strips of zucchini that are either served raw or steamed in place of your favorite noodle. Again, as for me and my house... Well, myself anyway. In our house, many times when it's spaghetti time, my wife will make me noodles and the rest of them will eat their spaghetti over spaghetti squash instead of noodles. Y'all can have it. I'm sticking with the pasta. Pasta Staten, that's what they call me. I recently saw... I can't help it. It just comes naturally. <laughs> I recently saw a video of a lady making carrot bacon. Carrot bacon. She peeled the carrot into long strips so that it looked like bacon, and then she seasoned it and put sauces on it and fried it in the pan. It even had the crunch of bacon. I think we're getting too far when we start substituting for bacon. And then there are sugar substitutes, stevia. Uh, to, to, to go to see, I don't know how you say that, aspartame, aspartame, even coconut sugar. And these substitutes allow people that are trying to avoid the negative ramifications of eating sugar to include obesity, diabetes, and heart disease, that they can use sugar substitutes which have the qualities, the, the sweetening qualities of sugar without the side effects that sugar brings. Brother Roberts was telling me earlier this week that he found an incredible recipe for fudge that has no sugar in it. And that was like a mind bomb for me. 
Because I think fudge is like the sweetest confectionery on the, that, that man has ever known. I've heard that sugar farmers, when they're making sugar and they condense it down when it's not sweet enough, they add fudge to it to get it sweeter. All right, I made that one up. But still, how is it even possible to, add, to, to, get, to make fudge without sugar? Brother Robert says it is, so I'll take his word for it. Fundamentally, a substitute is someone or something that serves in the place or the stead of another person or thing. And in order for a substitute to work, there have to be a few qualities that are incomparable. Features that are familiar and attributes that are somewhat in alignment. When Jacob substituted himself as Esau so that he could receive the blessing from their father Isaac, he understood, I cannot be Esau. He realized that my voice will never sound like Esau. My features will never appear as rugged as Esau. But all that I've got to do in order to obtain the blessing of Isaac is to have one or two attributes, one or two qualities that will align themselves with the attributes of Esau. And then I will be able to position myself as a substitute for Esau and steal the double portion, the blessing. And so the Bible says that he made his hands and the smooth of his neck to feel like Esau. And then he adorned himself with the aroma of the field. He perfumed his garments with the smell of wild game. And because he projected certain qualities of Esau, he was able to present himself as a substitute. And therefore receive the blessing that was intended for Esau. I'm spending a little bit of time here at the beginning of my message this morning that I feel that God has given me to establish that in order to be a substitute, there has to be a common denominator. Amen. There has to be something that we have in common. I would not be a good substitute for LeBron James for a variety of reasons, and I'll let you maybe work to figure out what some of those might be. Amen. There have to be some qualities. I'm not six foot whatever LeBron is. Eight, I think it is. Six, ten, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I don't have his physique. I don't have his money. I'm a little bit of a lighter shade complexion than he is. There's, there's several things that might not allow me to be a substitute for LeBron, all right? Uh, when, when you had a teacher in school. Now, there were some teachers I had that were substitute teachers that my math teacher, I, don't, I, I think they were a gym teacher. They just put them in there. They really weren't a good substitute. So to be a substitute, there has to be a quality in common. There has to be an attribute that is in alignment with the original. But I want to preach to us today on this thought. There is no substitute for honey. In the Bible, honey is one of the key elements, especially within the volumes of the Old Testament. It is a key component in the promises of God. Literally from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the benefits and the blessings of honey are heralded. 61 times in the King James Version of the Bible, the qualities and the characteristics of honey are recorded. The benefits of the Word of God in our lives are compared to honey. Psalms chapter 119 verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Psalm 119, verse 103, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. In Proverbs chapter 24, verses 13 and 14, Solomon makes the comparison of the goodness and the sweetness of honey to that of what the knowledge of wisdom is to the soul. Solomon says, the only way that I can get you to understand how beneficial wisdom is in your life is to compare it to the sweetness of honey. That wisdom is as sweet to the soul as honey is to your mouth. Proverbs verse 16, or rather chapter 16 verse 24 says that pleasant words are like honey. They're sweet to the soul and they are healthy to the bones. In Psalms chapter 81 verse number 16 we find there that God, as he laments the backsliding of Israel, he longing declare, longingly declares to them that if you will just return to me, Israel, I will satisfy you with honey. 61 times mentioned in Scripture when the goodness and the, 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 the satisfying attributes and elements of a word, when God is trying to communicate to humanity how good something is, how sweet something is, 
There is nothing else that can relate just how good it is. God says the only thing that I can begin to compare the sweetness of that honey is used in those attributes. There is no substitute for honey. Yet of all the attributes, the parallels, the comparisons for which honey is used within the scripture, none is found more often and none is communicated more emphatically that when God begins to try to reveal to the nation of Israel, beginning in Moses, when God begins to tell them just how wonderful Canaan is going to be, when God begins to try to speak to them of just how wonderful it's going to be when they get to that promised land, God says the only way that I can get them to begin to understand how sweet it's going to be to enter into Canaan land, the only way that I can begin to try to illustrate to them how good it's going to be when they get to Canaan and land, I've got to tell them it's a land that flows with milk and honey. There is no substitute for honey. And so he speaks to Moses at the burning bush, that moment that will be the catalyst that begins the process of God delivering Israel from Egypt and moving them toward the land of promise. And so he speaks to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 and the Lord says to Moses at that burning bush I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows tell your neighbor God knows what you're going through he hears that cry at midnight when you think nobody's listening when you begin to cry out about what you're going through I want you to know God knows your sorrow he knows what you're going through amen he's heard the cry by reason of affliction he's heard the sorrow that you're going through and God cares he says because I know what you're going through I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians amen somebody say deliver them out but I want you to know God does not just ever deliver somebody out of something because he follows that up by saying and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large land unto a land that is flowing with milk and honey. There is a principle that you need to know about God today that is revealed to Moses at the burning bush. That when God is going to bring you out of something, it's always to bring you into something. Amen. God's not just going to leave you out. He's going to bring you in. He's not ever just going to deliver you out of something. He's always got a plan to bring you into something. At the burning bush, he uses a description of their affliction and their sorrow to describe what he's going to bring them out of. But then he turns to milk and honey to describe what he's going to bring them into. I want you to catch that this morning. He did not just what he would describe what he was going to bring them out of, but he said, now I've got to describe what I'm going to bring you into. Because when God delivers you out of something, it's to bring you into something greater. I said when God delivers you out of something, it's always to bring you into something that is greater. Milk and honey were everything that affliction and sorrow were not. God was saying, as bad as it's been for you in Egypt, it's going to be greater than that. It's going to be the opposite of that when you get to Canaan. The only way that I can get you to understand how good it's going to be is to tell you there's going to be honey there. And there is no substitute for honey. More than 20 times God promises to bring them into a land that flows with milk and honey. When they begin to become discouraged, God reminds them milk and honey. When they start to lose their way, God reminds them milk and honey. When their temporary circumstances seem overwhelming, he reassures them, don't worry, there's going to be milk and honey when you get over there. I didn't come to preach about Israel and Egypt and the wilderness and Canaan. I came to tell somebody in this building today that he's not just the God that brought you out. He's the God that's going to bring you in. In this house today, there are so many wonderful testimonies of how God brought people out. We can
could, we could spend the rest of the day giving each person in this building about two minutes and we'd go all day long. People get in this microphone saying, God brought me out. He brought me out of depression. He brought me out of discouragement. He brought me out of alcoholism. He brought me out of drug addiction. He brought me out of fear. He brought me out of doubt. He brought me out of darkness. He brought me out of this. He brought me out of poverty. People in this building today that were afflicted by the taskmasters of depression and discouragement, bound with heavy chains of addiction, uh, lives that were being destroyed by terrible choices. Uh, and we celebrate today because he brought me out. Uh, he brought me out. He reached down uh, into the miry clay uh, and he delivered me. I wonder if anybody's got a testimony today that God brought you out. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God brought us out. Any former alcoholics that can raise your hands, any ex-drug addicts that can raise your hands, any that were in broken relationships that can raise your hands, the devil thought he had you, but God brought you out. And we testify, just like the children of, the, of Israel in Exodus chapter 15, as the children of Israel, when God brought them out with a mighty hand, and they came through the Red Sea, and their captors were capsized and drowned in the Red Sea. The Bible says they began to sing the song of Moses. And Miriam lined up all the women of Israel and grabbed tambourines. The Bible says they danced, and they played the timbrel. Why were they doing that? Because they had been brought out. They had been delivered. And we should and we do celebrate that God has brought us out, that he delivered me with a mighty hand. And guess what? He's still delivering me with a mighty hand. Tomorrow he's going to be delivering me. He's still making a way out of no way. He's still making rivers in the desert. He's still turning Red Seas into a highway. But don't forget today while we celebrate what he brought us out of, don't forget he's bringing us into something that there's milk and honey waiting on you and there's milk and honey waiting on me and there is no substitute for honey. We find in Exodus chapter 16, just days removed from this miraculous crossing of the Red Sea that left their captors capsized and compelled the children of Israel to sing the song of Moses while Miriam and the women danced with timbrels. This moment, the crossing of the Red Sea, one of the greatest demonstrations of the power of God in the history of humanity. And now, just a few days, Brother Roberts removed from their dancing with timbrels, singing the song of Moses celebrating what God brought them out of, maybe at the most a week removed from this powerful work of God where he parts the waters of the Red Sea and delivers them from Egypt. They find themselves in the wilderness between Elam and Sinai. The children of Israel, the Bible says, just a week removed from a mighty miracle, they begin to complain against Moses and Aaron. Exodus chapter 16, verse 3. The children of Israel said unto Moses and Aaron, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth unto this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Amen. And in response to their complaining, in response to their murmuring, God gives them manna. A week removed from a miracle where they celebrate God bringing them out. They find themselves in a wilderness and they begin to complain and so God gives them manna. Manna, that every morning when they woke up in the wilderness, manna covered the ground. Manna that would be enough to feed them every day that they woke up. Amen. Between the affliction of Egypt, every day they found themselves between the affliction of Egypt and entering into the promise of Canaan. Every morning, from that morning on, they would find manna on the ground. They would have to go out and gather it, but there would be plenty, the Bible says, for every person according to their appetite. Exodus chapter 16 verse 31 gives us a description of this manna when it said it was like coriander seed. 
and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. It tasted like honey. It tasted like honey, but it wasn't honey because there is no substitute for honey. Manna had a very specific role in the plan of God. It was intended by God as a response to their complaining to, to meet a need for a season. It was there as a temporary solution for a passing season. Make no mistake about it today, manna was of God. It was from God. It was a heavenly bread. It was sweet to the taste. Amen. It had some of the attributes of honey. But I must remind you today that there is no substitute for honey. It tasted like honey, but it wasn't honey. Manna was God's provision for the wilderness, but honey was God's promise for possession. Amen. Manna was there in the wilderness. Manna was God's provision, but honey was God's promise. And you've got to be careful not to turn God's provision into God's promise. You've got to be careful not to become so full on God's provision that you miss out on God's promise. It may taste like honey, but it's not honey. It may fall down from heaven. It may be sweet to the taste, but there's still something waiting on you over there in Canaan land. And if we're not careful in our walk with God, we begin to substitute God's provision for God's promise. God begins to meet our needs. He begins to source us and supply us. And if we're not careful, we begin to substitute provision for promise. We begin to get comfortable living in the wilderness because after all, it tastes like honey. Amen. I don't necessarily need honey because after all, I've got something that tastes like honey. And we turn what God meant to get us through into what God is leading us into. What I'm trying to tell you is God's got more for you than where you're at. Don't turn your provision into your promise. Don't be satisfied with what you've got. God's got more. Here's what happens. We get in the church and God brings us out and after too long we start tasting honey. We, we get the taste of honey in our mouth and we become satisfied in a wilderness place. And after too long we just get satisfied in the wilderness. And so instead of journeying on, our praise isn't what it once was. New converts, we couldn't, we couldn't have put a seatbelt on you and kept you in your seat. Why? Because I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. Amen. Your worship begins to die down a little bit. Amen. As soon as service is over, you make a beeline for the exit door. I don't have time for an altar. Kickoffs in 20 minutes. I got, I've got priorities. I've got things I've got to do. Why is that? Because you're, you've turned provision into promise. But when you realize there's milk and honey waiting on me, there's more than manna that I'm meant for. God made me for more than manna. He made me for milk and honey. So my worship isn't going to change. My praise isn't going to change. There's still room at the altar for me because I'm going somewhere. We get comfortable living in the wilderness because after all, it tastes like honey. I want to really quickly revisit the first time that God mentions milk and honey. Back in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. We read verse 7 and 8, what God is going to bring them out of, what he's going to bring them into. But God didn't stop there. He went on at the conclusion of verse 8. He said, unto the place of the Canaanites and to the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and probably some otherites. In other words, when you get to the place of milk and honey, when you get beyond provision and you enter into promise, you're going to have to drive some things out. Amen. Living in a place where you've got a honey substitute, where you've got wafers that taste like honey, you don't have to drive anything out. You can just keep following the cloud. 
Just walk every day and watch God do everything. Just walk, walk every day and watch God make water flow out of a rock. Walk every day and watch God turn the, turn, turn, turn the poison pot into porridge that can be eaten. Just keep walking and following after the cloud. But when you start entering into a land of promise, you're going to have to start dealing with some things. You're going to have to have to start confronting some things. You're going to have to start living by conviction in your life. You're going to have to start letting the word of God drive some things out. As long as you're just eating manna that tastes like honey, you don't have to deal with the Canaanites. You don't have to mess with the Hittites. But when you start walking into promise, you've got to drive some things out. There is no substitute for honey. It's worth the fight with the Canaanites. It's worth the fight with the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Amorites. Man, we've got it pretty good in the wilderness. We've got wafers that taste like honey. My shoes don't wear out. It's been 40 years since I bought a pair of shoes. Not me, them. My shoes never wear out. My clothes never wear out. There's water to drink. Quail every evening, manna every morning. And after all, it tastes like honey. And we become content living off the provision of God. I'm preaching to people today that God has more for you. You think that where you're at is the promised land because it tastes like honey. But I've come to tell you today there is no substitute for honey. If you're not engaging the, the enemy that is living in your promised land, you need to step it up. You need to let the enemy know I, there is no substitute for honey. I'm not going to live off of manna. I'm not just going to follow a cloud. Amen. But I'm going to start engaging the enemy. I'm going to start doing war in the heavenlies. Amen. I'm going to start throwing down some strongholds. When there is honey, you're going to have to begin driving things out in order to possess it. That's why much of the Christian world today is content living in the wilderness and they preach against conviction. They preach against living by any kind of a standard of holiness. That's wilderness living. You don't have to drive anything out when you're in the wilderness. Oh, but we still have the presence of God. I know it tastes like honey. I know it tastes like honey. You don't have to change anything, and you still get the sweet taste on your lips of honey. But here's the difference between the wilderness and the promised land. I'm not just tasting the taste of honey. There's honey flowing, and I'm driving things out. I'm not just passing through. I'm possessing Come on, Living Hope, I'm preaching to the church today. Some of you think that I, that I don't preach holiness any longer. I may not preach it exactly the same way my dad preached it 30 years ago. I may not preach it as often as he did, but I believe it just the way he believed it, and I preach it as much as I can just the way he did. Pastor, why do you preach holiness? Why do you preach that? Because there's no substitute for honey. Uh? Amen. If you're going to live in the promised land, uh, you've got to drive some things out. Uh, if you're going to possess the promised land, uh, you've got to drive some things out. I'm preaching to people right now uh, that you're letting the enemy possess your promise. You're going to have to start confronting some ites. Begin driving things out of your life that cannot cohabitate with the presence of God. Righteousness and unrighteousness cannot coexist. Holiness and the lust of the flesh cannot coexist. Amen. Promised land. If you're going to get into the promised land, you're going to have to start confronting things. You're going to have to start letting the word of God shine a spotlight into your life and say, that's got to go and that's got to go. It shouldn't always be the preacher saying, this has got to go and that's got to go. It ought to be you saying, God, let your word say, this has got to go and that's got to go. Lord, if you tell me it's got to go, then I'll deal with it. Why? Because there's milk and honey in that land. I don't just want the taste of honey. I want the effects of honey. I want the attributes of honey. Don't think that just because God has been providing for you that it means he doesn't have more for you. I, I want to preach to every I wish I could come one by one and go down the aisle and tell every one of you God has more for you. 
God has more for you. He has greater for you. He has more promises for you. He has more potential for you. Wednesday night, Brother Sargent preached about the, the tragedy of unused potential. And he spoke about those that become content with less than God created and called them to be. And I'm preaching today to people that if we're not careful, we become satisfied with manna because it tastes like honey. But inside, you know God has more for me. And I'm tired of wandering in a wilderness. Come on, I'm talking to people. You've let some things into your life that you know don't belong there. Well, pastor ain't preached against shacking up for a while, so it must not be a sin any longer. You know better. Come on. It must not be a sin any longer. Pastor hasn't preached against it. You know the word of God. You know what, what God approves of and what he, and, but you think that you can possess the promise. You think because you got the taste of honey, because I can come to church on Sunday and raise my hands and feel God, that that means God's okay with the way that I'm living. No, you're just in a wilderness. But when you get into the promised land, you're going to begin dealing with some things. I don't know about you. I don't want something that tastes like honey. I want milk and honey. I want everything God has for me. Come on, if you feel that way, I want you to stand up and give God praise today. I want everything God has for me. I don't want any substitute. I don't want any substitute. remain standing. I want to close with one final thought. Many Bible scholars and theologians make a parallel that manna was an Old Testament type of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean manna was Jesus. It wasn't like a theophany or a manifestation. There are some symbolisms that compare to Jesus. I'll name a few of them. Jesus declared that he was the bread of life. He was supernatural bread that came down from heaven. Much the same as what manna was. Just like manna, he is enough to meet the needs of the multitude. God said to Moses that manna would be enough for everybody to get what they need. Jesus Christ, can I tell you, he's enough for everybody. There's no, there's no short supply of Jesus. It's not like we say, well, we got Jesus so our community can't have him. No, there's enough Jesus for everybody. Just like manna, he saved us in our wilderness. Just like manna, he feeds the hunger of our soul. And there are many today that are content with a faith in Jesus Christ. There are doctrines today that preach that you are saved when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I will agree that it begins when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You must have faith. It all begins with, for by faith we are saved. It begins with faith. It doesn't stop there. That's right. That, that's the taste of honey. But here's what I know about honey. Honey exists in the promised land. As long, many today, as long as you have faith in Jesus, that's all you need. But I've come to preach to you that out of the words of Jesus Christ himself, he's got more for you. I'm glad that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm glad that you confess Jesus is your Savior. That's a great start. But that's like eating manna in the wilderness. I know it's sweet and it tastes good, but there's honey waiting on you in Canaan land. There's honey in the promised land. Tell your neighbor there's more than just faith. More than just believing that Jesus Christ is God. More than just believing he's the Savior. The Bible says the devil believes that he is God and he trembles. So if that's the faith that it takes to save you, well, I sure hope the devil ain't going to be in heaven. No, he won't be. The Bible tells me they bind him and cast him in the pit. But there's more. Tell your neighbor there's more. I want to preach to you right now about something more that God has for you. If you're here today and you've, you've, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm not belittling your experience. I'm glad that you have enough faith to declare that Jesus Christ is the Almighty God. That is a great beginning. But there's more for you. Can you turn with me to the book of Acts Amen. The book of Acts chapter 1. There's no substitute for honey. And Where do you find honey? It's in the promised land. Honey and promise are connected. Amen. When you get to the promised land, there's going to be honey. Whenever you enter into the promised land, you're going to find honey that is there. Amen. This former treaty, treaties have I made 
Oh, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after this passion by many infallible proofs. These people had seen Jesus resurrected. They had faith. They believed. They saw him 40 days speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Listen, and being assembled together with them, commanded them, Jesus commanded them. Tell your neighbor, Jesus commanded them. Did not suggest to them, not, not say it'd be a good idea. Hey, it'd be really cool if you did this. No, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem. Why? Because there's promise there. Amen. Wait for me for the promise. Can I tell you where the honey's at? It's in the promised land. If you want the honey, you've got to get to where the promise is. Amen. But wait for the promise of the Father which saith, ye have heard of me. For John, here's the promise, for John truly baptized with water. Here comes the honey, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. I want to tell somebody today, you've got faith in God. You've had some great experiences with God. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's some manna for your journey. But let me tell you, there's more that God has for you. He wants today to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Is there anybody in the house that says, I want everything God has for me? I don't just want, Brother Roberts, I don't just want the, the wafer that tastes like honey. I want to start living in the promised land. I want to pursue after the promises of God. Every Sunday that I walk into church, I don't want to sit back on my pew and say, God, I've been brought out. That's good enough. No, I want to know, God, what are you bringing me into? I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. I'm trying to challenge somebody in this place. You're thankful that God brought you out, but God is not finished. He's got more for you. I want us to raise our hands all across this house. We could begin to celebrate of all that God has brought us out of. And we do and we should, like, like the children of Israel, we should do like Miriam and, and grab tambourines and well, maybe not really, but, but dance. Timber, anyway, that's another sermon for another Sunday. Dance. And thank God for what he's done. Thank you, God, for bringing me out. But, but please, people of God, don't get satisfied in the wilderness with the little taste of honey. Every time we come to church, there's that little taste of honey. We feel the presence of God. But, but that's just the taste of honey. God has more for you. God wants more than just a, you come on Sunday and get a little emotional fix where you taste the sweetness of honey. God's saying, no, come on now. Let's keep on going. And let's begin to drive some things out. Let's get rid of some things that have been possessing your promise. Let's drive those things out. And let's start walking and living in the promises of God wonder who would come to this altar right now I want more I want more I want everything God has for me I don't just want the wafer in the wilderness I don't just want the wafer that has the taste of honey I want the honey I want the promises of God Lord I want everything you've got for me and Lord if there are things in my life that need to be driven out then let's deal with those things because I've got to make it into Canaan land come on Come on, come up on the platform, whatever you got to do. Come on. Make sure you got room. Push the chairs back. Come on, we need to be able to respond. We need to be able to respond. I'm asking you to come. God's got more for you. Well, I've been living for God for 30 years. I'm glad you have. God's got more for you. Come on, somebody. God has bigger dreams. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all. We can ask or think there's honey, but there is no substitute for honey. Listen, if you're here today and you've not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I'm glad if you have faith in God, but there's more for you. Tell your neighbor there's more for you. Everybody in the building, I want you to ask your neighbor right now. Hold on just a second. Bring it down a little bit. I want you to ask your neighbor, have you received the Holy Ghost? Well, I don't know. I think I have. God doesn't want you thinking you have. He wants you knowing you have. And so he made it very clear in the book of Acts how we know if we receive the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius and his household 
They were ready for the promise. They, they already had faith in God. The Bible says they were devout Christians, but they knew there was more. And the Bible says as Peter began to preach, that they begin to receive the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says those standing around knew they received the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with other tongues. Well, I'm not sure, preacher, if I've received the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you how you can be sure. You're going to speak with a heavenly language. You're not going to leave here wondering if I have or not. You're not going to walk out of here today wondering if you have or not. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I want you to ask your neighbor again, Have you received the Holy Ghost? Have you spoken with other tongues as the Spirit of God spoke through you? Ask somebody else. I need you to ask two people. You'll know why in a minute. Have you, received, have you received the Holy Ghost? All right, Claire. Brooke? Two yeses. All right. How many of you, out of the people that you asked, have one person tell you no, they've not received the Holy Ghost? A couple over here. Somewhere over here. I don't know who they are exactly. That's why I had you ask more than one person. So nobody knows who it is exactly. Whoever you are over here, I want you to know the Holy Ghost is for you. This promise is unto you. This promise, the honey is in the promised land. The honey is in the promised land. This promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I want us to bow our heads together. The first thing we need to do is we need to say, God, I want the ites driven out. That's how we move from wilderness to promise. we got to be willing to let God drive, help us drive out the ites. Come on, that lust. Come on, that perversion. That greed. All those things that we know are not in alignment with the Word of God. We have to be willing to say today, God, I'm ready for the ites to go. I'm ready for the ites to go. That's called repentance. Lord, I'm asking you right now to forgive us of our sins. Romans tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one person in here right now that is not guilty of sin. Every one of us are. But Lord, right now as a congregation, we're asking you to forgive us. Lord, I don't want to just keep eating manna. I don't just want to taste the sweetness and not possessing what you have for me. And so, Lord, today I'm ready for you to begin to convict me of the things in my life that need to go. Lord, I'm ready right now for you to identify the ites that have made their way into my promised land. And, God, I'm ready for them to be driven out because I want more than just the taste of honey. I want the honey. I want everything you've got for me. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going away.